Hey friends, I'm Christine Chappell, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In today's episode, we talk with Jen Oshman about her book, Enough About Me, Finding Lasting Joy in the Age of Self. For more help on this topic, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Jen Oshman is a wife, mom, and writer, and has served as a missionary and pastor's wife for two decades on three continents. She currently resides in Colorado, where her family planted Redemption Parker, an Acts 29 church. Hey there, Jen. Thanks so much for joining us for the show today. Thanks so much for having me. This is great, Christine. I appreciate it. Well, before we get started in our conversation, would you spend a few minutes sharing about why you wanted to write this book? Well, I lived overseas for 15 years and we moved back to the U.S. four years ago. So I was kind of watching from afar what I saw unfolding in women's books, women's ministries, women's Bible studies from overseas, just seeing kind of the state of maybe women's discipleship or the lack of discipleship in the United States and just seeing this increasing message of you were made for more and acknowledging that that is actually true. In fact, we were made for more than the life that we see that's right around us. But seeing that a lot of materials and speakers and conferences and books were really gearing that message towards you are made for more than maybe your humble, ordinary life that's inside your home. You know, what is your purpose? What's your passion? What's your goal now? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, dream big, and do whatever it takes to go realize that dream that you are imagining. And just my heartbreaking feeling like there is a truth in you were made for more, but that's not what it that's not what it is. We were made to bring glory and honor to God. We were made by him on purpose for a purpose and it's to be in relationship with him and to bring him glory and honor. So just seeing this message that was really self-focused rather than God focused and then seeing the damage that that was doing and just my heartbreaking for women who were becoming really self-focused and internally focused and finding at the end of the day that they actually weren't enough, that they didn't really have the energy, the passion, the power to realize these dreams that they're being told they could realize. Mm-hmm. And so just from afar, and then as we move back, seeing that this message is actually really damaging and really causing a lot of harm amongst my sisters and friends. And it's a message that I'm drawn to myself as well and seeing the havoc that it's wreaking in my own heart as well. And just wanting to get in the game and say, hey, we are made for more, but it's not, it's not this way. We're being too easily satisfied with this message. There's a bigger and better and more glorious message, and it's found in the pages of Scripture. I think one of the ways I got connected with you early on was through an article, and forgive me, I'm going off the top of my head here, but it was something along the lines of just simply pointing out that, you know, the self-help, self-focused message, it isn't even applicable to everyone. And I think you mentioned something about, Mm -hmm. you know, people with disabilities. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think that is a really important point. If you know, for the person who is, as you say, maybe in a lower income bracket or enduring some kind of disability or in a different country or a different context or in a relationship or just whatever the shaping influences of their lives are, it's not possible for, I would say, maybe even the majority of us to determine our destiny, to be responsible for our own happiness. There are 
contexts and circumstances that keep keep all of us in a in the space where God has put us, and we're, we can't necessarily realize these big dreams that we might have. So. If it's not true for everyone around the globe, it's not true for you mm-hmm. in terms of this being a gospel truth or a scriptural truth or a biblical truth. If, if it can't apply to our sisters in other contexts or with other abilities, then it's not true for us either. This, this you were made for more really is a message of privilege. It rings hollow at the end of the day. It was such a good insight. And I really appreciated having read it, you know, last year sometime. I, again, I wish I could remember the article, but it was just a really profound statement that she made there. So thank you for just touching on that real quick. Uh, you open up the book with a really insightful chapter called The Siren Call of Self. And in it, you essentially lay out for us how the Western worldview of self has evolved since the 1600s. While we don't have time to get as detailed as you did in the book, I do think it's a helpful foundation for the conversation moving forward. In the book, you write, quote, unless you've spent time pondering about why you think the way you do, it's likely your worldview has developed without you knowing it. So that being said, can you offer some highlights about the Western sense of self as it has been influenced and changed over time? I mean, this this focus on self, this desire to be self-sufficient and autonomous, in on in one hand, it's as old as the garden, right? Adam and Eve believed the enemy when he said, did God really say that? Did the Lord really ask you to obey him? Or can you rely on yourself? Can you do whatever it is that you want for yourself? So this issue is as old as we humans are. Mm-hmm. But over the last several centuries, it has really gained momentum. It's sort of been like this massive snowball up until now, until into the 2000s. And that is that we as cultures, as societies, we have become less trusting of institutions, of the government, of the church, of any sort of structure. And we've become more trusting just of ourselves, of looking within and going, okay, what do I think? How do I feel about it? How can I prove this? Or how can I handle that? And over the generations, especially in the 17, 18, 1900s, we have removed any sort of structure of the outside world. And we've looked within and said, it's really dependent on me to define my own truth. And I'm going to walk by my own truth. So now here in 2020, I think honestly, autonomy is king. Like our highest value in the West in 2020 is that you would realize the autonomous self. You would determine who you are. You would look within and decide who you are. And then you would conjure up that identity and you would make it happen. So much so that if what you come up with is in conflict with what other people think or see or or live to be true, your idea of autonomy trumps their idea of community. Hmm. So self is really king right now. And it's, it's increasingly problematic um, in our society and in our culture, but especially just in our own hearts as we look within and find that we aren't enough. Well, you even suggest that the siren call of self lures us into deifying self. And I had never heard that term used before. And so I was really thankful that you shared it in the book because it is true. You write, quote, as we trace the map of historical worldview, we see that the path that has led to triumph self above all has also led us to our own destruction. Can you explain what you mean by this observation? Sure. So if you, as we say, you know, you do you, you be who you are, determine your identity and you go get it. If you are totally reliant on yourself to to determine who you are and then to realize that identity, you're not relying on anything outside of yourself. 
there's no reliance then on community or a higher power or a reliance on the God who made you. Mm -hmm. And so if you're only looking within and you're only reliant on your own power, you have to become your own God. And then you be, you have to worship yourself. You have to praise yourself and give yourself enough accolades and applause to keep going. If your idea of who you should be is totally dependent on yourself, then you have to cheer your, for yourself yeah. and you have to make it happen. And it becomes this really destructive sort of hamster wheel cycle where you're just, you're maybe like a dog chasing your tail, trying to be who it is that you've determined you should be and never really knowing if you've arrived, because where, where can you look to know, like, well, have I made it yet? I can only look within. And so as women, you know, I write for women in particular, just because that's my heart and passion and where I've been in ministry for the last couple of decades. But what we're seeing around, and I know you write about this too, Christine, what we're seeing in our midst really is a crisis of spiritual, emotional, and mental well-being as women increasingly turn inward and don't seek their creator and seek their maker and sustainer and savior, they are hurting themselves. And we're, we're seeing an unprecedented rate of just anxiety and discouragement and disillusionment and depression around us. And this is part, part of why I think we're in the crisis that we're in. I think it's also important, too, when we talk about deifying self and it being destructive is not only the damage that it's doing to our spiritual welfare, but also to our relationships. Because I think if we are deifying ourselves or worshiping ourselves, then any relationship that we have, that someone is not helping us to get what we want or to achieve what we want to achieve, or somehow they're inconveniencing us or getting in our way, well, now they're stepping on the toes of our idols. And so Mm -hmm. now we're lashing out in anger or bitterness Mm -hmm. or revenge. So I think it's important too, that just to remember that the destruction isn't only within ourselves, but also just in our witness and our interaction with other people. I think you're absolutely right. And we, we're living in this cancel culture, aren't we? If anybody disagrees with you slightly, there's no room for nuance. You cancel them. We call relationships toxic, which of course those exist. That is a real thing. But I think we're quick to write people off. Mm-hmm. And when somebody maybe stretches us, or as you say, inconveniences us, or is even, you know, the, the wounds of a friend are to be trusted, is even sort of wounding us in a, in a loving way that we might grow, we write it off and go, no, you are inflicting your truth on my truth and I won't receive it. And so you're right. It's damaging to self and it's damaging to society, to our communities. It's no good for any of us. You quoted Augustine when you wrote, quote, our hearts will be restless until they find rest in God. So what does a biblical worldview of self in relationship to God look like? Yeah, I do. I love that quote. Our hearts will be restless until they find rest in God. So we were created by a loving God who designed us to walk with him. He created us on purpose and for a purpose, and that is to abide in Jesus and to bring glory and honor to our maker and to find rest in him. He is the goal of our lives. He is the fuel for our living. We were designed to abide. And so we will look for that. We will look for that rest and that peace and that contentment and that divine power from any number of things. If we're not seeking it in the God who made us, we will seek it out in our careers, in our reputation, in our families, in our marriages. We will hunger for it no matter what. Mm -hmm. And we won't find rest until we find it in the place that we're supposed to. And that is in the God who designed us to walk with him and to live by his power and for his glory. 
There's a common saying that you bring up in the book. I'd like to chat about it here. It goes something like, God never gives you more than you can handle. So in what ways do you think that this particular statement can be misleading or even unhelpful, especially those who are dealing with incredibly painful situations? I mean, we hear this all the time, don't we? God never gives you more than you can handle. It's like, it's so cliche. It's everywhere. But as you say, we live in a very broken world. On this side of heaven, we have so much sin and broken relationships and pain and heartache. And so to hear in the midst of incredible loss or a really dark place, well, God never gives you more than you can handle, that is destructive because I think all of us, if we're really honest, can say that we've woken up in a dark place and gone, this is way more than I can handle. It's that, that quip is not true whatsoever. But as I said, just a minute ago, you know, the Lord has designed us to abide in him. And I love in Acts chapter 17, where it says that the Lord has determined where and when we live, that we might seek him and find him. God does not stand far off. So the Lord has allowed or enabled certain circumstances in our lives so that we might seek him and find him. And Jesus is so tender and kind. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You know, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And so, so many times I think these painful situations are allowed in our lives so that we might seek the Lord, not so that we might say, well, I can handle it. God wouldn't have given it to me if I couldn't handle it. No, God gave that to you that you might seek him and find him. It just makes me think of when Paul is really being transparent in 2 Corinthians 1, and he's just pouring out the reality of the hardships that he has faced to his brothers and sisters in Corinth. And he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And then he turns and he says, but, but Mm -hmm. this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And so just building off of the comment that you made about these moments are designed to help us to turn to the Lord who is able to handle the things that that we cannot and and even to empower us to persevere and endure through Mm. those things by his strength and his power so that we learn how to trust him more. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. That just encourages my soul as you're reading those words. And that that it's so good that we might surrender ourselves to the Lord who is able. Amen. You don't know it yet, but the Lord has bonded the two of us together over 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. And Paul, again, saying that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. So glorify Mm. God with your body. And that particular verse really impacted me as I was wrestling with a season of depression. How did Mm. this particular gospel truth about self minister to you? That is one that the Lord gave me in a season that I share in the book when I was in college. And I was just really seeking after the things of this world. I went to a specific college with a specific purpose of having a specific career where I would have a good income and certain amounts of fame and just, you know, worldly treasures. And that's what I was living for. And God in his mercy made those things incredibly hollow. As I was a freshman in my dorm room, he just pulled back the veil and just revealed to me, these things are temporary. These things are self-serving. These things actually will not satisfy. 
what will satisfy is a relationship with me. And so I think we are just so prone to wander. We're so prone to seek ourselves, to serve ourselves, to prop ourselves up. You know, the self is a siren. The self is a magnet. We are always just drawn back to ourselves. And so seeing those words in black and white, you are not your own. Like I created you, the Lord says, I'm the one who gave you life and breath and everything. You actually belong to me. And not only that, but by the blood of Jesus, I purchased you. And so you can trust me because I hung on a cross for you. I'm resurrected from the dead and you will be too. I am good and trustworthy, but your life is not your own. Hand it over to me. I know what is best for you. And I will give you the contentment and the peace and the joy that you long for. It's not found in yourself. I will share a little bit about how that particular verse intersected with my own experience of depression. And I've written on it before, too. And so my readers are familiar with mm-hmm. the fact that in the past I had struggled with self-harm temptations. And one of the times I was struggling in that particular area, the Holy Spirit was just so gracious to urgently minister to me in my time of temptation, that particular verse that I was not my own. I had been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. For me, it was self-harm, but for others, it may be any kind of self-medication or anything that Mm -hmm. we're turning to for refuge or relief or comfort in the midst of trial. We're tempted to turn to a million different ways to self-soothe in those moments, but yet we're called to glorify God in our body because we don't belong to ourselves anymore. Mm. And so it it stopped me dead in my tracks. And I can only praise the Holy Spirit for ministering to me in that particular moment and just reminding me of who I was in Christ. In some ways, hurting myself is hurting my Jesus. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to voluntarily participate in that. And so why do you think it is important that we are constantly remembering whose we are in Christ, especially in those moments of temptation? For me personally, this is like an hourly battle. Will I live for myself or will I live for my God in these moments, whether it's just in the mundane tasks in my home or whether it's through public writing or speaking or the way I handle my children and love them or speak to them or my husband. I mean, this is a constant battle of my flesh And the culture is screaming at us, you are your own, you be you, you do whatever you want to do, whatever serves you and anything that's not serving you, get rid of it. So we are just inundated with a message that is exactly the opposite of the one you just shared. That beautiful testimony of the Holy Spirit ministering to you and saying, no, Christine, you are mine. I bought you with a price. Don't hurt yourself. You belong to me. That is radically countercultural. And not only that, but it's radically counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Our bodies and the world around us are saying something else to us with a megaphone. And so we have to be in the word and in community and reminding ourselves, just renewing our minds every day that we belong to Jesus and he is enough because everything about ourselves and our world is telling us the opposite. And so this is just a, this is a battle of the mind and uh, where we're going to renew our thoughts. Well, I have to also admit maybe something a little bit more lighthearted that we've also bonded (laughs) Uh, in your book. You talk about your great affections for new kids on the block and you definitely were an enthusiast, but I did have, I I had, I remember, I think my sixth or seventh birthday party was a new kids on the block party and I had the posters and I remember having nightgowns with all the guys on it. So, you know, I was right, I was right there with you, but you referenced the popular boy band in a chapter that talks about Adder 
adoration. And I resonated with the statement that you made about adoring self over all else. And you wrote, quote, if I love myself more than I love the Lord, I'll spend more time perfecting my own image, my own home, and my own work than I will getting to know him better through prayer, time in the word, and worship. And for me, that was a, I like to call a holy smackdown because I felt like Mm -hmm. it was like, ooh, that's good. But also it stings a little bit (laughs) because I, I have been tempted to want to spend a lot of time perfecting my own image, especially my own home and keeping it clean and tidy, as my kids know, and also my own work and ministry. So if there's someone listening to this podcast today who also resonates with this statement, how would they go about addressing the issue of skewed adoration? Mm-hmm. I love Holy Smackdown. I'm definitely borrowing <laughs> that in the future because it's for me too. And I just, I reread that quote and I wrote it and I feel the Holy Smackdown in it again, <laughs> fresh today, because like I said, it's an hourly issue. Right. So there is a, there is absolutely a time and a place and it's biblical and good to do some self-reflection work, to, to look within. And, you know, I realize the the huge message of this book is don't look within, <laughs> but there is a place to evaluate your values, your motives, your idols, and to call them out and to be honest and to just look at what is motivating me. Where am I spending a ton of time or a ton of money or effort? Where does my mind naturally go? What do I naturally daydream about? What do I naturally just really want first thing when I wake up in the morning? Um, what do I think I have to have? What do I think I have to do? You know, what, what are my idols? We've, it is useful and helpful and important that maybe even in the context of community and prayer and honest friendships, we really call idolatry what it is Mm -hmm. because we all have them and they're so sneaky and they're so subtle and that makes them especially sinister because we can serve them all the days of our life without really knowing that we are. So I think for the listener who maybe resonates with that and goes, okay, you know, maybe I do spend more time perfecting my own image than I do wanting to know who my creator is, who my savior is and what he's like. If that resonates with somebody as it certainly resonates with me, I think the first step is to just acknowledge it, to confess it. I say in the book and I say repeatedly in my own life and to myself, confession is the gateway to joy. Mm -hmm. We have to confess where we are sinning, where we're falling short, where our idolatry lies, because as we call it out, as we name it, what it is, then we can release it and ask for forgiveness and turn, repent, turn from that idol and turn to the Lord Jesus and find lasting joy. So the first thing we've got to do is simply label it, confess it and ask for help, ask for forgiveness. And then I would say in that process of sort of looking within and reflecting on our sin, you don't want to stay there. I think it can be tempting for some people to just keep looking inward and going, well, this, how do I get over this sin? This is my sin. I'm really going to focus on this sin and try to really overcome it. And I think that's largely ineffective. I think the best thing to do, and I think what scripture calls us to do is to lift our eyes off of ourselves, acknowledge the idol, confess, repent, and then receive forgiveness. Lift your eyes up to your glorious God. Look him full in the face, fix your eyes on Jesus. Who is he? What is he like? What does his word say? What's his character? Draw near to him in the word and in worship and in community. And as you seek him, as you behold him, you know, we become what we behold. As we behold the Lord, then he is going to do a work in us that is largely hidden 
the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in us and carry it on to completion as he conforms our desires, conforms the things that we're naturally drawn to. And he's going to replace those idols with himself. And he's going to help us to love him more, honor him more, spend more time with him as we reject those idols and behold him. I think those are just really great points. And it's, I think, super helpful just to keep in mind, you know, at the beginning of what you were saying, you kind of cautioned, well, the whole book is not to look within yourself, but we kind of do have to look a little bit, you know, at the (laughs) same time. And I think a conversation I had on the podcast with Rush Witt about destructive daily habits, he said something along the lines of, you know, there's a difference between healthy reflection and morbid introspection. And so Mm. the morbid introspection is getting stuck in that cycle of self-condemnation where you're really just spinning inward and downward. But I think what we're talking about here is a healthy reflection and of Mm -hmm. asking God to reveal if there's any wicked way in us and to create a willing spirit to not only see those wicked ways, but then, like you said, to move into action. And I think morbid introspection, when we are so self-consumed about how we're failing or I'm so awful or I just can't get this right, we don't ever end up taking taking an action toward God. We just continue to beat ourselves up and then pummel down into despair and even depression at times. I know Mm -hmm. that's been my experience was, Lord, I'm so sick and tired of being wretched and I just can't figure out how to make my heart change faster. And now I'm really upset and (laughs) bitter about it. And, you know, it's just an inward cycle. Well, I think a lot of us struggle to enjoy peace in a world so filled with uncertainty and chaos. And you write that quote, only one thing can give us true peace, being chosen rather than doing all the choosing ourselves. Can you explain what you mean by that statement? Well, we live in an age where not only is this the age of self, but it's also the age of social media, right? We've got these phones in our hands almost 24 hours a day that are revealing to us the news, what's going on around the globe, what's happening in our own neighborhoods. I mean, we are hyper aware. It's almost like we are omniscient. It's almost like, you know, we have this, there's this facade that like we know everything that's going on. And it's almost like we're omnipresent too, that we're everywhere at once because we're getting news from around the globe all the time. And so I think that subconsciously we have this idea that we're also omnipotent, that we have power to influence what's going on around the world. You know, even as the coronavirus is spreading around the globe, as we record this podcast, we're reading articles of, you know, five things to do to avoid the coronavirus, or here's where it's spreading now. Here's how this population is dealing with it. And there's just this sense. And I think it's largely subconscious that like, somehow I'm going to know this news immediately, and I'm going to be able to control my well-being in the midst of this bad news. Mm-hmm but it's not true. We only God is omnipresent and only God is omnipotent, but we live in this age. And again, it's a problem of privilege because we are so wealthy and we have so many resources. There is a solution for so many things that ail us, you know, whether it's medicine or some kind of education or degree or, you know, online program that you can do. I mean, there's so there's a buffet of options for you and me to solve our problems. And so we think we are, we have the control. We think we can just make choices to take control of our lives. And um, it was Oz Guinness who really helped me think through this problem. And that is that there are so many choices that we make every day, everything from 
the breakfast food that we're going to eat, you know, is it full of antioxidants so that we don't get cancer, (laughs) you know, all the way down to other practices throughout the day that make us feel like we have control when we really don't. And the only one who is sovereign is God over all creation. He is the one who holds everything together. He, everything was made by him and for him and through him. And he holds all of us in his very capable hands. So what I meant with that quote is, you know, only one thing can give us true peace, being chosen rather than doing all the choosing ourselves. And that is really just resting in the God who made us, resting in the God who gives us life and breath and everything else, the God who knows our thoughts, the God who knows the number of hairs on our heads, who takes care of the sparrow and the lily of the field, who says, do not worry, do not be anxious, cast your cares on me, I will care for you. And it's just resting in knowing that he's making good choices for our good, for our flourishing, for his glory, even choices that feel painful in the moment. He is doing those things by his design, by his will, by his power to conform us more into the image of his son. And so as we rest in his love and in his omnipotence and his sovereignty, we don't have to scramble and freak out and conjure up our own security. Our security is already in his good hands. Those are such great reminders. Thank you for sharing them. Do what makes you happy is another sentiment that you tackle in the book, and it swirls around our heads, our hearts, and our culture. Can you tell us how the gospel of Jesus Christ informs the way we think and believe about experiencing true joy? Yeah, I think we see this, do what makes you happy. I mean, it's like, it's on throw pillows, it's on coffee mugs, it's on t-shirts, it's in songs. Again, the culture and our flesh internally and externally, this message is being said to us with a megaphone all the time. And so I think it is the natural reaction of like, oh, this thing is not making me happy. I'm not going to do it. Whether it's a relationship or a career or, you know, something, it's like, no, I've got a movie on this. It doesn't make me happy. I want to do what makes me happy. But the gospel of Jesus says, he who would seek to save his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So true, lasting, abiding joy is found when we surrender to the Lord. He says, take up your cross as I have. Hebrews chapter 12, you know, it says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So there was joy even in the Lord knew as he laid down his life, as he obeyed the father, there was a joy set before him. And he says, I want you to do the same. I want you to take up and carry your cross and follow me. And there is a joy in that. So as we image our creator in whose image we have been made, that is where we find lasting joy. We think it's in the quick fix. We think it's an instant gratification. We think it's in this moment, but I think clearly the emotional and mental health crisis around us is showing us that's not actually true. The instant gratification, the looking within the relying on self is really ending up harming us. And Jesus says, lay your life down, be hidden with me in God, set your mind on things that are above. As we pursue Christ-likeness, as we willingly lay our lives down, counterintuitively, that is where we will find lasting joy. I really appreciate it. Over the past weekend, I was able to see Nancy Guthrie present one of Mm. her biblical theology workshops, and she pointed Mm -hmm. out one of the recurring themes in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is suffering before glory. And Mm. I think that that is, again, 
totally countercultural, and it even goes against what our flesh desires. Like we we do want that instant gratification or that do whatever makes you happy so I can feel some level of pleasure and satisfaction in this moment. But if we look back at the scriptures and even at Jesus's own life, like you were talking about and the cross that he volunteered himself for on our behalf, Mm. the pattern is suffering before glory. It's not glory all the time. It's not Mm. glory and then a tiny bit of suffering, but then mostly glory. (laughs) It's a whole lot of suffering for then the best possible glory, which is that Mm. future resurrection and eternal life with Jesus Christ. And so I think it's just important, again, to put our eyes back on the whole even storyline of the scriptures and of the gospel to remember that, especially when we are feeling a little bit of despair or Uh, hopelessness because we are dealing in that suffering phase perhaps right now and just trusting that glory is coming because that is the the story of our savior that's the story of our faith Mm -hmm. well we've got time for one more question so i would like to invite you to do something that i ask every guest of the hope and help podcast to do which is to speak directly to the audience there may be someone listening to this episode who recognizes they've been living in a world revolved around themselves this person understands that their self-worship has wreaked havoc on their relationships and even in their walk with christ what would you say to this listener to encourage them to lay down their lives daily for the sake of finding lasting joy in the age of self? Well, for whoever that listener may be, I would say you are in the best place possible. Like that is just the sweet spot. That moment when we come to the end of ourselves and realize we wake up maybe for the first time of, oh my goodness, I have been living for myself and I'm hurting myself. It's it's ringing hollow. It's I don't like it. It's leaving a bad taste in my mouth. And as you said, it's destroying my relationships and my life. I praise the Lord for that moment. It is in his mercy. It is because of the great love that he has for us, that he reveals that to us. So praise the Lord if you are in that moment. And then my encouragement to you would be, as I said already, just to confess that and lay it before God, but also to be seeking his word, to just be in the word, to know what is true. We are so quick to rewrite truth in our own minds. We've got to be renewing our minds. So to be in the word, to be gathering with other Christians, Christians who will point you to Jesus, not point you to self-help, not point you to messages of do what makes you happy, because let's be honest, that is in the church quite a bit. But a Christian who will lock arms with you and say, let's pursue the one and only God, the true God, the true Jesus, his gospel of grace. And then just trusting the spirit of God that he will do an unseen work in you and he will carry it on to completion. It's a walk of faith. Oftentimes, Our sanctification is an instant. Our growth is an instant. We have to believe that ordinary acts of faithfulness, of being in the word, of praying, of gathering for corporate worship, of just being in the body of Christ and worshiping him and thinking of him and turning to him multiple times a day, that those just ordinary, non-flashy steps of obedience down a long path will lead to lasting joy and will lead to true transformation in our hearts. So just trusting that. And then in terms of laying ourselves down, of just surrendering to the Lord, of, of dying to ourselves and taking up our cross and the pattern of our Savior and living for His glory, I think, Christine, that is going to be just as diverse as we are. 
our God is so creative. I mean, you just look at a busy city intersection and you see his creativity in the way that he made us different skin colors and hair and eyes and different giftings and passions and abilities. Or you look at the coral reef or the rainforest. I mean, our God is so creative. He has made such diversity amongst us that the way we lay ourselves down is also going to be very diverse. So the way that I surrender my life is not necessarily going to be the way that you surrender your life. He has called and equipped some to go overseas and he's called and equipped some to go across the street. So it's just in the word, in community, in prayer, by faith, he might be asking you to lay yourself down for a boss who is unkind and blessing a coworker who is mean or a a student or a colleague or a friend, or to honor your parents who maybe have been unkind to you or to give your husband a blessing when perhaps he left that morning with a cursing. Um, there are just these everyday ordinary acts of faithfulness where we can lay ourselves down. He might be calling you to something bigger than that, maybe to fostering or adoption or overseas missions or starting a ministry in your city. I don't know what that is for each person, but I know that God will reveal it to you as you abide in his word and in his community and trust the spirit to do that work in you. And just know that at the end of the day, it's in seeking his glory, not your own. It's in seeking his strength, his sufficiency, his supremacy, not your own. And he will lead you and he will reveal that to you. Thank you so much for those words of encouragement. That is just something I feel like I want to go back and listen to probably on a daily basis because we all need to be <laughs> reminded and exhorted in that way. So thank you for sharing that. Now, Jen, if there is someone listening who wants to get connected with you and learn about your new book, Enough About Me, Finding Lasting Joy in the Age of Self, and all the other things you have going on with your ministry, where is the best place that they can connect with you? Sure. Well, I have a website and everything is there. My writing, um, jenoshman.com. And then I also have a podcast that you can find on iTunes and elsewhere, and it's called All Things. And can you just give us a little teaser about what your podcast is about? Sure. My passion really is understanding culture and understanding scripture and where they meet. So on All Things, I try to take one specific issue that's happening in the news and look at it through a biblical lens and just offer encouragement to the listener and to myself, of course, to know more about what's happening in the news and how we might approach it with the help of scripture and with the gospel of Jesus. Thank you so much, Jen, for joining us for the conversation today. I really enjoyed learning more about your passion for ministry and just your heart behind this book. And I really hope the listeners will take the time to purchase a copy, maybe even take a small group through it. I thought that it would be uh, make for a wonderful discipleship curriculum for a group of ladies who wanted to really attack this particular issue. And so just thanks again for putting the resource together and for sharing a bit about it on the podcast today. Thank you, Christine. And, and thanks too for just the testimony that you shared and the scriptures that you shared and the reminders of truth that you shared. As you say, the body of Christ is so, so sweet in the way that we are able to build each other up. So thanks for nourishing my soul in this conversation as well. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.